Hey guys, welcome to Today's the Day with Zach Anderson. This episode is brought to you by Alchemy Sales Coaching. I hope you guys enjoy. You have honestly, since my adult life, probably had a bigger, bigger play in my life than most people. And you've been a huge influence in work life, home life, everything. Honestly, since my adult life, obviously being my boss plays into that a little bit. Outside of that, just being one of my best friends since my adult life and, and my, my business career. So I really appreciate you. I'm super, super stoked to have you on here. Thanks for making time to get out here. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun talking. Diving into it to kind of introduce Ross, a few things about him. Growing up, competitive skier, this is what your wife was telling me, competitive skier, and she made sure to mention that you could land a double cork, whatever that means. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice little plug from Hey Weave. I like that. She plugged you. You had sponsors through all that. You served your mission in three different third world countries, which I didn't even know that either. Learning three different languages, I did know that. You speak probably nine languages at this point. You had some really, really cool stories that I want to dive into in just a little bit. Um, and then now in life where you sit, you're a girl dad, you have three daughters, they're awesome. Your wife is one of my favorite human beings on the planet. And you manage an organization, including myself and hundreds of other employees, in a really, really high stress environment, which is something I really want to talk about. So Thank you. Thank you for being on here. I'm super, super stoked to have you. Is there anything else you want to add to your little bio list? No, I mean, thank you for, for having me. I mean, it's um, likewise, you know, you've had just as big of an impact on me as, as I may have had on you. So um, thank you. It's been a, it's an amazing ride that we've had over the last, what is it? Is it like five? Seven. Seven years. This is year That's seven. Crazy. So seven years, but. Year seven. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. There's a few stories I want to dive into and, and me and you have talked a lot. I've been lucky enough to be kind of front row to anytime you go present or speak or train or whatever it may be. So there's so much that I want you to go and touch on, but there's also a different, different part of things that I want to hear from and maybe things that I haven't heard before, but um, rolling into it, kind of, kind of one of the biggest things I want to go and acknowledge is kind of where you're at right now. And, and why you're on, why, why I think you'd be so valuable to have on here. You truly live what a lot of people would look like as like a dream life. Like, and you've gone and created it. And I've watched you go and create it and scale it at a massive pace, which is really, really cool. You're super, super young. What you're doing right now is what a lot of people would love to be doing at your age. And you have a blast along the way, which I think is kind of the most important part about it. You have so much freaking fun anywhere you go. But before we go and dive into some stories, one of my favorite things to open up with just to get super vulnerable out the gates and go and, and help people listening really, really realize how relatable people are no matter what place they're in. My favorite question of all time is, obviously, you've had a ton of triumphs. You've had a ton of successes in your life. What, when I say like the lowest of lows in your life, what stands out? Like what was one of the most trying situations you've ever been in? Um, why? How did you feel? How did you get out of it? How did it play out? Um, and, and for two reasons. Number one, obviously, I, I want to hear how you dealt with it because I think that's super key. And that's like probably one of the most important lessons in life. But number two, I mentioned on every, every episode, it shows people they're not on an island when things get hard. Like a lot of people go through struggles and whatever it may be, and they feel like they're totally on an island. They don't think anyone else, especially not someone as happy and chipper and thriving as Brad Rossiter has ever been in a spot like that. So when I say like, low of all lows, biggest trial, biggest failure, whatever, it, whatever comes to mind, what, what is that for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, absolutely, man. I, I, um, I've had a couple, you know, I, uh, I mean, even going through school, right? Like I, I was, I loved the social aspect of school. I didn't love like the academic side of school. And so even that, you know, like a lot of times I didn't apply myself as much as I should, um, and so, you know, di different pieces and I'm talking way back to, you know, early on in school and kind of on the come up, um, you know, wasn't a horrible student, wasn't a great student. So kind of, you know, I guess a little bit of failure along the way in, in school. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that like the, you know, there, there's kind of two that really stand out. One being on the mission, you know, was, was one heart and I loved my mission. It was, I served in Madagascar, one of the, the coolest places I've ever been, the coolest people that I've ever been around. You, um, so when you say mission, you served a two-year church mission yep. straight out of high school. Straight out of straight out of high school for two years. Went to Madagascar. Um, as you said earlier, I learned um, Malagasy, which was where I served on the actual island of Madagascar. It's their local language. It's it's a mix between Polynesian and Arabic and French. It's a, it's <laughs> a really crazy crazy language. After being there for about eight months, I got reassigned to a or transferred to a another island that's in that mission. It's called La Reunion, which is a French providence, and they don't speak any Malagasy there. They only speak French. 
Um, How many months in was that that you got transferred? Uh, about eight, eight months. And then they said, hey, good work learning Malagasy. Now you get to learn French. Yeah, they said, would you be willing to learn French? Could you do it? Absolutely. Um, so I went off there and then uh, and then went back to Madagascar for a few months and then finished up on a little island called Mauritius, which is actually owned by India. And they speak English and Creole there. And so kind of a, a weird, weird little melting pot of, of um, Africa down there, I guess. But Anyway, so there was a, you know, I'm a, I'm a major extrovert, love being around people and being, you know, consolidated and confined to this small island and, you know, spending the majority of my time with my mission companion, the person that I'm assigned to go and do church work with that I didn't get, you know, we totally different backgrounds and uh, not necessarily like jiving too well. That was really, really hard for me. I um, and, and I had some amazing amazing people um but that that was kind of the first one where i i actually was like dude am i depressed like i never knew what depressed was i heard about it i heard people talking about it and and i probably learned for the first time that there's actually a difference between being sad and being depressed like mm. i don't know kind yeah. of crazy so like i remember sitting in you know in this apartment and being like dude what the heck why am i feeling weird like why am i not feeling motivated and why am i not feeling like you know why i want to do some of these yeah. things and was able to bounce out of that and and you know it was a it was kind of a short-lived stint but it wasn't too long after that that I went out or that I came home you know back to Utah and I went out to do summer sales for the first time mm. um and when you when you rewind back further like you're saying hey some of your accomplishments and this and that you know I was a big uh skier I played all sport you know tons of sports skateboarding anything extreme dirt biking snow all of that stuff and you know, to be honest, I excelled at a lot of it. Mm -hmm. uh, skiing kind of being the main passion, you know, competed across the nation um, in slope style skiing. So, you know, doing all the flips and the rails and, you know, the X Games qualifiers and the, all, all that stuff is, is you know, the, the collegiate deal. I mean, all of that was kind of what I was focused on and, and loved. And so this was the first and then, you know, going on the mission, it's like I picked up the languages. I was able to go and do it. And I felt like most of the stuff that I really applied myself to, I, I did really well. Mm hmm. Um, even, and I had a handful of sales jobs, you know, in between coming through high school and a little bit after, after high school. So when I go out and do door to door and not to go, you know, too into depth, but surface level, I show up to Alaska to go and sell, you know, and, and that's kind of where they threw me when I, when I went and showed up, I didn't know anything about the job. Really. All mm -hmm. I knew is it was kind of like, all right, we're selling alarm systems. And, and I actually remember my brother who was up there said, Hey, you're going to screw up on a lot of stuff. All you have to do is make sure that they know that they're paying this and get their signature right here. And I'm like, all right, fair enough. And I went out, you know, that first day and that, that first week I actually went and sold seven, which, which is phenomenal. It, yeah. And in that industry, it's, it's really good. Yeah. And I was just, it was all by personality, man. Like it was all by me being energetic and honestly just being happy, being excited about the job. It was something yep. new. I was in Alaska, like I, and I was actually pumped. But, uh, you know, that was pretty short lived. I, I ended up going three weeks after that first week mm -hmm. without making a sale. And which translates to making no money. Like if no you money. don't sell, you don't get paid. That's right. All commission job. And, and, you know, to be honest, it wasn't even the money at that time as much as it was that I was failing. Like, yeah, it was okay. I, and it was such a mind, like, it's just playing mind tricks because I went mm -hmm. out and I did about as good as anyone in the office that first week. And then I go and I, you know, we call it bageling. I go and throw up a bagel, meaning a zero for three weeks in a row. And that was the second time that I ever remember being maybe depressed, right? Or like yeah. failing and, and yeah. completely recognizing that, man, I'm trying to do this. I'm going out and I'm knocking on doors and I cannot make a sale. It's really amazing looking back at all of the stuff that I learned, because that's actually one of the biggest blessings in my life now, right? That's what, Absolutely. especially in my, in my business and my position that I can go and relate with people that go through that. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, everyone at one point will, but I remember justifying everything and saying, you know, like I was really quitting is what I was doing. And I actually quit before I, and I actually, you know, come week three after that, that third week, I tried to quit. I called up my boss and I was giving him every reason of, you know, why I was quitting and why I was going. And to me, it wasn't even quitting, actually. I want to make that. In a, um, you had a way of justifying it. Yeah, I, I was just justifying it, right? Yeah. It was not on It was not on me. It was on everyone else. Yep. 
but I remember him saying, Hey, if you want to quit, you can quit. That's what my, my boss at that time said. And I'm like, quit, I'm not quitting. Like you guys quit on me, you know, all this other stuff. Um, but it was, I kind of sat there and I actually hung up the phone on him and I sat on this curb in Galactica Avenue in Alaska. And I'm like, dude, I am, I'm quitting. And I, and I'm like, I don't quit. Like it's amazing what the humans just hit their standards. And so to me, I'd always had this standard set of like, well, I don't quit. And so I, I was not going to quit. And it took that moment to realize that, you know, I was quitting well before I was actually making this decision of even wanting to go home. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't working with, you know, I wasn't deliberate. I wasn't focused. I wasn't, I wasn't doing it with passion. I was just kind of going through the motions. Mm-hmm. So I'd quit probably week one, week two, but it wasn't making the, you know, the full on, all right, I'm out of this thing until week three. Yeah. And uh, when I kind of had that wake up moment of like, okay. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm not going to quit. That's not my standard. And that's actually what you're telling yourself you're going to go and do. You know, I I completely reinvented it. I sat down. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go and figure this out. I'm going to go and and turn my summer around and I'm not going to do it because I'm uh, because of the money or because of anything else. I'm not going to compare myself to anything else. I'm going to compare myself to me and I know I'm way more capable of what I'm doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the rest is kind of history. I actually went out and got rocked for another week. So it's funny because it's like you don't just instantly get this. Oh, sweet. Because I'm yep. having this defining moment. Everything's <laughs> going to be fixed and I'm going to do amazing. Yeah. I got smashed, man. Yeah. For another week. But at that point, because I had made that decision of I'm burning the boats it mentality, matter. it didn't matter. Yep. Um, and I ended up, you know, finishing out. Once I sold again, I didn't bagel for the rest of that summer. And, uh, you know, it completely changed the trajectory of my life. You fast forward 12 years and, um, you know, I'm in the position. Well, I am. Yeah, you just said something that's so apparent. So and I have kind of again, I have a front row seat. So you just said you rise or fall to like your standards, like your production will rise or fall to your standards. And rewinding in life, first off, before all of that, competitive skier, your standard was to go and be excellent. Yep. Right? There's even a story. There's even a story where one, I forget what year of high school it was, you tore your ACL, if I'm correct. Yeah. And you picked up bowling. Oh, yeah. Because you couldn't ski. Yeah. You ended up going to the state championships for bowling as the captain, (laughs) and you got a scholarship for bowling. Yeah. Correct? Did I miss anything on there? Yeah, yeah. So I... I was, uh, again, skiing was my life. That was my everything, right? I had ski release every day. I was out at 1040 every day in high school. Like I skiing was literally everything and, you know, getting the next sponsor, the next photo shoot, all that stuff. And I ended up, yeah, tearing my ACL up at Park City on a really big jump. And I was, well, yeah, going a little bit more into depth. So I I really hurt my knee. I knew that I was hurt, but I I didn't really want to face the music of it because I didn't want to, I knew what it meant, right? If I had this serious injury. Yep. So I went and I iced it, went for about a month until I'm like, all right, I should probably go get this checked out. Like something's not right. I go in and they actually told me that, uh, and I went to Dr. Cooley, who's one of the best, you know, he just done Tiger Woods knee, tons of athletes and um, one of the best orthopedic surgeons in the, in the U S 
And he did all these tests on me and and felt like he didn't even need to do an MRI because he he just knew it was a torn meniscus. And that's only a three-week recovery. Mm -hmm. This is actually one more kind of failure point where at one of my lows yeah Yeah, low point um so anyways he's like yeah three weeks you're gonna be back up you're gonna be able to go and hit these competitions in colorado and all these other spots that i'd been planning on and so i went and got the surgery and i woke up to hey i'm sorry we completely misdiagnosed it and when you were completely unconscious and relaxed your knee was wobbling back and forth and you had no acl your mcl (laughs) was torn and your meniscus was torn and so you're you know six to eight months and I was oh. like, oh, you know, so sick. And, and I truly was just, I was depressed. And so, you, you know, I'm on crutches for three weeks or whatever it was, six weeks. I don't, I don't even remember the timeline, but I, uh, I could not sit still. Like I hated sitting still and I lived next to a bowling alley. And so all my buddies that were on ski release and going skiing, that was really hard for me to swallow. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to go to the bowling alley. And <laughs> so I end up going to the bowling alley um and uh you know i start throwing and it's i could go into a whole nother story it's so funny but i started you know trying to curve the ball and uh this like old grouchy man from the bowling alley's watching me and he'd kind of like walk by he'd be like you're cranking you know which is like coming over the top of the ball and i'm like what does that mean he's like i'm like come coach me man (laughs) and he's like i'm not coaching you i hung that up you know it's like anyway so this guy kept walking by and he ends up being like all right i'll uh, you you need help. And so I'm like, dude, we should have a bowling team for Skyline. That's the high school that I went to. They didn't have a bowling team and um, we didn't have enough people to have a bowling team. And so I went and recruited people from Olympus high school, which is below us and Skyline. And we put together a bowling team um, <laughs> so that we could go and have enough people to compete. And uh, yeah, I ended up, you know, becoming the the team captain and, you know, I, I had a lot of 600 series and became, you know, a pretty dang good bowler. A uh, bunch of two, never had the 300 uh, really close one pin short a handful of times, but, um, and, and it was all because I, you know, anything that I go and really put my mind to and, you know, you're positive and I, I say it way too often, but it'll work out type thing. And that's kind of how I looked at bowling too. I'm like, well, yeah. I'm going to go and figure this out. And it was fun. So on that, yeah. Rewinding, you went like, again, touching on standards, you rise and fall to your standards. And that's a saying, but like, you've lived it like all through growing up, your standard was always to, to go and be the best at what you're doing. And part of it is like, frankly, like an ego thing. And then even fast forwarding your ego and your identity is a better word for it. your identity and your standard is like you compete in everything that you do at a sickening level. Like I'm a, I'm a pretty competitive person and it really has, it's pushed me to do a lot um, of things, things that were very uncomfortable, but like watching, like whether it be a failure at work or whether it be a setback at work or whether it be something that's supposed to be like a fun competition, like you, you treat it like it's the final game of the world (laughs) series. Every time you're my least favorite human being to compete against and my favorite human being to compete with, like have you on my team. So my question for you is like, where, where did you develop that? Like, where did that start? Cause it seems like you've, I obviously didn't know you growing up, but everything I've ever heard from your wife or you or any of your friends that went to high school with you that I've been lucky enough to be friends with as well like you have always had like this, it's like a sickening competitive nature and that's your standard, right? And, and part of it as well is like, you just have a standard of, of succeeding in general, like on your mission, going and learning three different languages that probably couldn't be harder to go and learn. There probably is not a combination of three languages that would be harder to learn. Trials, the job that's literally probably one of the hardest jobs you could go and choose to do. And then overcoming everything you've overcome all the way up from high school till now like, where did you develop that? Where did that come from? You know, I, I honestly don't know other than I think that I hate losing more than I love winning. Like for you, Zach, do you do you love winning more or do you just hate losing more? Like, I hate losing. You hate losing, right? Yeah. So for me, I, I hate losing. Um, and obviously winning feels really, really good. And, and from the very beginning, like I, you know, in competing in anything, I, I, maybe it has to do with having two older brothers, you know, that always pushed me. Maybe it had to do with, you know, my, with, with confidence, you know, which I think that from a very, a lot of people always ask, well, where do you get your confidence? And yeah. I honestly don't know other than, you know, I try and keep promises that I make myself. I, I really do. I think that competing against people, um, is a really good thing, but really you're just trying to like do the best that you can possibly do and compete with yourself. Yeah. And it's amazing 
like what people are capable of doing. You know, it really is. My parents always, you know, my mom in particular always, you know, maybe these positive words of affirmation, like told me how amazing I was and how handsome I was and how good at everything I was and all this stuff. And I remember her writing like the Christmas cards and she took so much pride in our success. And I think that, you know, for me, it was always like, man, this feels good to like, you know, to, to uphold these things that, and these, these kind of standards that other people place on you. Yeah. Um, maybe it's coming from a, a, a point of not wanting to disappoint people. I don't know, but it feels good to just win Yeah. and compete. Yeah. And um, I, I don't really know where it all comes from. So one thing that I think absolutely every person listening can relate to or struggles with at some point is self-confidence. And one of your superpowers is absolutely your self-confidence and how you look at yourself, how you present yourself, how you carry yourself, even when things are going wrong. So my question for you would be like, what's the most important lesson you've ever learned or ways to go and accumulate self-confidence and have the highest self-confidence and bring yourself at the top level everywhere you go? Yeah, good question. So I think that there's a lot to that, Um, you know, and kind of unpacking that a little bit. I do think that, like I'd said before, I think that even from a young age, I was blessed enough to have really good parents that instilled confidence in me, you know, and, and me as a dad, now a girl dad, like we talked about earlier, that's been a major, major focus of of mine to make sure that I am constantly instilling confidence into people, because no matter how much we can generate or generate confidence ourselves, there is also, you know, um, a lifespan of other people doing it for us. And a lot of times confidence comes from other people too, right? For sure. And, and so I've always tried to be a person that's building up people's confidence, not tearing it down, mm. competing. I can, you know, a little bit <laughs> on the contrary, but you, you know, it's uh, I mean, how good do people feel like uh, of just taking it? I know how good I feel if I walk in and someone's like, man, you look good today or, yeah. Hey dude, you, you dominated last week in yeah. X, Y, and Z. And so like being that person, that's who people want to be around. Are and the flip that, side, that builds your confidence. 100%. Yeah. Like when people want to be around you because you're always building them up, that builds your confidence. Now people want to be around you. A- a- absolutely. 100%. And I, and I think that the other part of it too, you know, like in this job a lot, a lot of people are like, dude, like you, you're so good. Like, how are you so confident on the doors? Right. And it hasn't always been that way. Right. Mm-hmm. The, these guys only see the final product, the the polished version of Brad Rossiter on the doors mm-hmm. or as the as the senior partner of, of of the region. They didn't see the Brad Rossiter that tried to quit on Galactica. They heard about him, yeah. but they didn't they don't they don't see that guy for three years. I took a deep breath before every single door approach or sales pitch that I would made on, a, you know, that I would make on a sales call mm-hmm. to calm my nerves. And to be able to collect what I'm going to go and say, collect my thoughts. It was like this ritual that I kind of did before every door. People don't see all that. People don't. And a lot of times confidence gets mistaken with experience. So Mm, I I have a lot of experience, right? Like I have 12 years of experience of doing that. In skiing, I had experience from when I was two years old of skiing and competing from when I was, you know, eight or nine years old through all that time. So when someone all the, when, when someone in high school who starts skiing all of a sudden is like, dude, like, well, of course I'd do it if I was Brad, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, man, I've been doing this for a long yeah. time. Yeah. So I think a lot of times that confidence does get a little bit mistaken with experience. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's other things that I'm probably not as confident in, but I do think that just like anything else, confidence compounds. So when you're confident in a few things and when you go in like zero in, it starts compounding into something else. Like, you know, basketball, I'm not a great basketball player, but I'll go out there like I'm freaking MJ and hack around and, <laughs> That's and tell truth. you guys bench me. That's the truth. But it's like, I, I just love it because I want to go and compete. So anyways, that's probably a little bit of like my perspective on confidence. I mean, that's so gold. And that like, I've never thought about it that way. Y- you mistake confidence for experience. But one way it's been put, like if you've ever read Relentless by Tim Grover, heard him speak, he talks a ton about like confidence gets mistaken for instinct. Once you do something so repetitive and you compound it, it's the exact same idea. And and you compound like this reassurance that you know exactly how to do it. It's now instinct. You can turn your brain off and do it. And it looks like confidence. It looks like there's no panic in you. And he talks about professional basketball players when they go to shoot free throws. It's like there's no there's no confidence needed to do something you've done 4000 times that month already. Yep. Right. It's literally just instinct. So that's so gold. I think that's absolute gold for anyone listening. Any of that stuff like these guys, uh, you know, I saw one on Kobe Bryant or something like that. And it's like, oh, like, tell me how you feel when you're getting, 
you know, the, the play is two seconds left and it's a pass out to the wing and you're shooting a three pointer for the game point. Like how much, I mean, what are, what's going through your mind? He's like, there's nothing going through my mind. The shot's already made. Exactly. Like, because, because I've practiced that shot 10,000 times exactly. for that scenario Yep. that he may just come off as the most egotistical, confident, cocky, whatever, but really he's just prepared. Yep. Like over prepared. Yeah. So what I would say a really applicable way to go in and apply that. And you mentioned it earlier too, a, a big way of building your confidence and going and getting that experience and turning into instinct is literally just having the habit of doing what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Like you mentioned earlier, you just, you build self-confidence by keeping deals with yourself mm -hmm. and like keeping standards with yourself. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. And I think that's like the most applicable way. I, I absolutely love that. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far. It was brought to you by Alchemy Sales Coaching. Now, I typically don't run ads, um, but I feel very strongly about Alchemy Sales Coaching. I started doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with Doug back in 2019. And since then, I have gone and not only blown up my career and my earnings, um, but it's really helped me through just the ups and downs of life. Now, the reason I feel so strongly about Alchemy is because it's a group of individuals not only focusing on furthering their sales career, but they're diving deep into inner work um, and becoming the best version of yourself so you can show up and be the best version of yourself. Um, not only that, if you have any interest in doing any one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, I exclusively do all of my one-on-one -on -one coaching through Alchemy. Um, so for full access to me, go and check out Alchemy. I think you'll absolutely love it. It's alchemysalescoaching.com. We will also go and post um, the links in our bio and on stories, etc. So go check it out. Now we're back to the episode. Enjoy. So another one of your big, like superpowers, and this has been the most apparent. So probably the most impactful thing you have done for me since starting my business career, because we we work in a really high stress environment. And you know me, we have probably biweekly conversations where I'm absolutely stressed, rightfully so might I add that I'm stressed for a good reason. And your response is always like, yeah, dude, it'll work out. <laughs> like, and I, I kind of hate the response, but it literally is your superpower. So two things you're absolutely unreal at since meeting you and since being a part of your organization. And the first thing is you handle stress incredibly well, probably too much. Sometimes you, you, you don't even let it get past your surface. And I'm curious as to how you do that. And then the second thing, and probably the more influential that I've gone and taken into everything that I do. And I talked to another guest about this when they were on is everything you do, you make it so damn fun. Everything you do. I remember I was on a work trip and what a work trip looks like. My first work trip ever. We flew into a small city in Colorado in the middle of winter. It was probably between 10 and 20 degrees every day and blizzard. And what my job consisted of was getting dropped off for eight to 10 hours with no idea of when you'll be back. And I wandered around a neighborhood knocking on doors. And I literally remember you picked us up in a rental car and you were drifting this freaking Escalade. <laughs> we were terrified. That was the same trip. You got a ticket actually, but you literally made everything throughout the entire trip a blast. Like dropping me off was a blast going to the gas station to get our energy drinks. That was a blast. Like everything was fun. And now I've seen you do that in everything that we do, whether we're going to a conference, like it's, it's literally your superpower. Whatever we're doing is always a blast. And I'm curious, like, where did you develop that? And why do you hold such a high importance to it? Like you, you really do. You make it apparent that it's important to you or we wouldn't do what we do the way we do it. Like why is having fun so important to you? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, life is meant to be fun, you know, or maybe people argue me on that. I have no idea, but I think that life, I, my mom got me or I, like I wore a shirt when I was young that was like, life is a party or something. You know, it's like, <laughs> I can I, see that. I, I think that that's awesome. Like life should be a party. And there's obviously a lot of things that go into it. And there's a lot of sacrifices that I made to be able to do the things that I do. Mm -hmm. But like part of that whole, you know, superpower that we're calling it or whatever mm -hmm. is just I, I try and not overcomplicate things. And I also think that you can actually will like back to the there's kind of two questions to that. Like, yep. hey, how about the part that, um, you know, everything just kind of works out? And yeah. I do. And I, I don't even everyone kind of has like their their phrase that they say. Right. You got a lot of people circle back this, that, whatever. Yeah. For me, it is. It's hey, it'll work out. Uh, but I actually do believe that you can will things into existence. Like, I think that there's part of it that you can't be naive and you can't just like be saying it to say it. But if you if you actually truly believe that things will work out, you will make them work out. And it kind of goes mm. back to that same thing that I was talking about, like your standards, like my standard is actually to make things work out. Like 
And that doesn't, it, I'm not just going to let that be up to happen. Stay, oh, if it works out, it works out. It's, yeah. And it's not, if it's no, it will work out, but I'll put in the relentless hours to make sure that it works out. Yeah. So whatever that problem kind of is, um, it's not saying it lightly and mm-hmm. it may seem like it, it, you know, at times, but it's saying, Hey, I'm willing to put in whatever work until it works out. You showed me that rap song on that trip, <laughs> put in the work until it works out. <laughs> that um, same trip. And so, <laughs> You know, I think that like talking about that standard piece, it's it's amazing how resilient human beings are and everyone has like their own set of standards. And so you you look at like a, you know, a single mom with kids, but her standards are to pay her bills, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I pay my bills and she will do everything in life to make sure that can, she can pay her bills to support her, you know, her two kids or whatever it may be. Mm, yep. but, but then then you have someone else who like, they pay some of their bills, and then you have other people who just don't pay any bills, and that's their standard. Yep. Well, it's pretty fascinating when you take that same single mom who has two kids that just gets by enough to be able to pay her bills, but it's a standard to pay her bills, that something catastrophic happens in, in her family or in you know a friend or whatever it may be that they need money to be able to go and get an operation or do something mm-hmm. that she's able to go and push herself to the point where she can actually go and help that person as well as still go and pay her bills. Yeah. All because it's just her standard to pay her bills. Yeah. Does that make sense at all? Like absolutely. It, it's really crazy. And so for me, it's it's like all going back to that, it's 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 a standard for me of saying, hey, it's we're gonna make it work out. And you know, for the most usually with you and I, it's it's a work related issue. Mm-hmm. And I think we're batting ten for ten. And it may not be completely like exactly what we expected it to be and exactly what we expected working out to look like, but pretty dang close. Yep. Yeah. I just think, again, it kind of goes back to that same thing of like, yeah, my standard is I'm not going to let that situation beat us. We're going to go and and figure it out. Yeah. No, I love that. And and on the flip side too, in every, every self-help book you ever go and read, like your standards determine your life. Like really your standards determine your reality. Your perspective determines your reality. The whole point of this podcast is to go show people how to live life through a different lens to go and get the most out of life, right? Put super simply. And it, it's the same on the flip. Someone's standard, if you have a very, very luxurious standard in life, like your life is to go and thrive financially, like that is one of your standards, and you take away the opportunity that's been funding you, or you take away all of your money, the exact same people would end up wealthy. Yep. If everyone on the planet lost all of their money, the exact same people would end up financially stable and thriving yep. five years from now yep. just because it's their standard. So I think that's absolute gold. I really, really like that. And kind of pivoting a little bit, and I think this will be really, really helpful, and I'm curious to, to hear your answer. You work with hundreds of people every single year coming straight out of high school, straight out of college. Maybe they've been a part of a career they're not super happy with and they're looking into other opportunities. What is something that you see a constant trend of? Because I have my own answer for this, but but just young people, like people coming into their adult life, starting their careers. What do you see people lacking that's a, a huge part of finding success in your adult life? Like what do you see that they have to learn over time, obviously, but what do you say, like, hey man, like this generation has got to go figure this out? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and it's so, you know, especially in, in my line of work, you know, I deal with a lot of these, I call them digital natives, right? Like, it's so weird to think that I'm to the point, I'm 33. I I got a cell phone when I was, I think, 17. And it was like the, the Nokia ones that I was playing Snake on, you know, I'm yeah. totally different from what it is now. And so like 17 years old, but I wasn't, I was, we had the internet and stuff like that. I think, I don't even really remember using it much like yeah. here and there, you know, and, and we're in a generation now that these digital natives, it's, they're basically born with a screen in their hands and yep. access to fact check and to, and to do all these things that I've learned a lot of times. I mean, we have more resources than we've ever had in the existence of humanity, right? Yeah. Yet I actually feel like we are the least most a lot of people in in the younger generation are not as resourceful mm. so you know people are yep. very they they have so many resources but they're not super resourceful and i feel like for me you know as as i was as i was and ever maybe it just looks different right and maybe like that definition of being resourceful is completely different but i feel like the people that are that are very very successful in life are the people that are the best at, ex, at exploiting resourcefulness and being resourceful yeah. And so like it doesn't matter how much resources you have if you're not using them to their capacity. And uh you know, I 
I don't know. Like, I, I think that Gosh. for me, it's like I, I look at even in just, uh, you know, when I was a kid. So, like, I needed to go and make money. And, and my whys to make money were to go and, you know, get a ski pass and to go and do different things. And yeah. so I would go and you know, meet and network with all the best of the professional skiers. I was friends with, you know, Tanner Hall and Ewan Olson and all these guys that anyone that skis will know some of these legends from back in the day. And I would, they would get, you know, they were sponsored. This is before I, I had some sponsors and things. And they were sponsored skiers by Oakley and Armada and all that. And I would buy their clothes from them the, yeah. from the year previous. And then I would go and sell them. Yeah. And I would be like, dude, you want Tanner Hall's coat that he wore in X, Y, and Z? Yeah, buy that. You know what I mean? <laughs> And now it's like, and, and I just go and do the all by word of mouth and just by straight hustle. Yeah. I was just really resourceful where now it's like, you've got KSL offer up marketplaces, blah, 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 blah. But yet people, I mean, and maybe some people do that, but I guess yeah. what I'm getting at is like that it's never been easier to go and make money and to be able to go and like, you know, be resourceful. Yeah. Um, but maybe sometimes having all those resources contradict, I don't know. Anyways, Gosh, no, so, something I've thought about, you know, that's, uh, yeah, resources do not equal resourcefulness by any means, and resourcefulness is the root of success. Yeah. So that's that's absolute gold. I love that. So on the flip side of that, you also with your work is super unique. You get to go and you get to see you call them digital natives. You get to see them going like, including me. Like you got to see me go from seventeen year old total punk. Like yeah. literally, my job was to show up to high school. That was it. Um, like that was the extent of my my responsibilities which I did 30% of the time to where I'm at now. And by no means have I arrived at where I want to be, but I've definitely come a long way on the flip side of that. You also are surrounded by the most successful people. Genuinely, you're, you're actually very, very tight knit circles surrounded by some of the most successful people in the United States, people who have done bigger things and you've gotten to rub shoulders with these people, have conversations with them. And then you've gotten to spend a lot of time with them. So a, a question would be, not everyone's that lucky. Not everyone gets to go and have that kind of network. And your network is your net worth, right? What are some things you've picked up on from that group of people? It's like, holy crap, dude, everyone that I, I noticed early on, everyone that's successful did this. And I tried to go and embody that. Yeah, there is so much to that. But I would say the two most powerful things that I've learned, um, the most successful people that I know think way bigger than I do. And I think that that's not always like that's at scale. And so I yeah. think that constant, like they didn't always think as big as they do now. Right. They just always, they always, it was always on their mind to think bigger and push boundaries. Yeah. Um, and so thinking bigger, like it's such an important one is thinking bigger. And the second one is just a blue ocean mentality abundance. Yeah. Like that. I've always actually lived a pretty abundant lifestyle because it feels good. Like, I, I love how you feel, you know, living is giving all that stuff. And I could never, it's taken me probably until, you know, my, my 30s to re recognize that lifestyle that I was living. But that's been something I've, I, when I say life is a party, I don't want to be doing that by myself. I want to be doing it with all my friends. Yeah. And I want to be doing it with all the people around me and all the people that I love and all, the people that I don't even know yet. I think that that's super fun. Yeah. And so I think that really living you know, an abundant lifestyle and, and giving back to people and giving to people. And and that's not always, uh, you know, monetary or yeah. it, you, you don't have to go and be rich to live an abundant lifestyle. Yep. That's a, you know, that that's a positive consequence that usually happens yeah. if you live that lifestyle. But, you know, it, like I think people always ask me, you know, what, what, what would you pivot your success back to? And I'll say I've always tried to be generous and not it just generous and not it, that doesn't mean generous with my money, but it's generous with my time because that's probably the most valuable thing that you can give to people. Yeah, a thousand. So diving into that and you mentioned it a little bit. Most people we hear that I have that as one of your superpowers. Like one thing you are incredibly good at is abundance mentality. And and that's one of my favorite things that I've picked up from you and just kind of mimicked. I mimic a lot of things that you do. And that's one of my favorite things because it feels really, really good. But I, I can already see comments or whatever it may be. People moving like, oh, yeah, it's easy to be abundant when you have millions of dollars to go and give people like it's easy to have an abundance mentality when you don't have to worry about paying your rent the next month and and I can argue that because I have been there like I literally got to a point my first year where I had $16 and I have a screenshot of $16.37 I couldn't go to b-dubs with the boys like I couldn't do anything I had no money and I wasn't selling I was terrible so what are things that you can do and you touch on a little bit but in depth like you have no money right what are ways to live an abundant lifestyle just throughout Every day, day to day, going to your nine yeah. to five, whatever it may be. 
So again, I think everything is at scale I, I, and, and most successful people will have that story of where that defining moment was, or like, you know, they're mm-hmm. maybe rock bottom. I think we've talked about this. I've got a, I've got a screenshot of my Wells Fargo in 2011 um, that I had $27 on. It's actually an Instagram post. We used to post way cooler stuff on Instagram. Yeah, I've seen that um, Instagram post. I so like that. It, it's an Instagram post and it's really fun. So I, I was going to school. I had z- no money. I was, I was going to college living in a house with a bunch of buddies. I remember going to Windover one time with no money. I went with the boys just to go. And one of my, one of the guys got up five bucks, gave me five bucks and I turned it into like 150 to pay for rent. But, <laughs> and that's why we're going to Vegas. That's why weekend. we're going to Vegas. But I, uh, you know, it, it's really funny looking back at that. Cause one of the things that we did, we lived right by a Maverick and I lived with seven dudes and we, you know, it'd always be like at one point in the day, it'd be like, Hey, let's make a Mav run. Right. And we'd go over, we'd get some drinks, beef jerky, whatever. Well, my post was, and this is when I had like the least amount of money to my name, $27. And I'm like, down to 27 bucks, boys. Looks like we have one last Mav run in us. And it's like me wanting to go and buy drinks for the boys because that's what brought me happiness. And there's not a better way that I could go and spend that 27 bucks. Yeah. Was it necessarily like the smartest financial decision? I have no idea. <laughs> but it was super fun. Um and so I think that that, you know, like it, I, I didn't just start living this, you know, this, uh, oh, man, blue ocean abundance. There's there's enough out there for everyone mentality yeah. when I started making money. And, you know, back then it was just like, dude, let's get everyone up skiing. Like, let's yep. go and, and just put in the time to go and coordinate something or, you know, be the, the person that's going to go and, and give up their time to go and do something special for people. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that that's actually the most valuable thing that you can do is is actually give your time. Yep. It doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be resources. It doesn't like those are all perks. Yep. Um. So yeah, I, I think that just being generous as being a generous human being in whatever way you can. And so one thing you've always said since I started, because we have a lot of opportunities to give within our work, and one thing you've always said is give until it hurts. And I think that translated to me really early before I had any money to give anything to donate on that front. And it was very, very to scale, like give until it hurts means it's to scale. So as you have more to give, like you can go and give way more, I give way more now than I used to, but it hurts just as bad as it used to, right? Like give until it hurts, give until it's like, okay, wow, it's like, that's a lot. And, and I think that translates at, at, and this could be just speculation, but as you go and put out, you get back a hundred percent. And I've never, ever, ever regretted going and giving either my time donating money, just helping somebody that needs help or helping someone feels in, feel included that's not included, whatever it may be, right? Yeah, and, and I, you know, what you said, and it's actually off topic from what you're saying, but it sparked another thought. Like, it, it wasn't me that obviously said, hey, give until it hurts. It's just something that I've heard that resonated with me from my mentors and the people that I've worked with. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times, you know, when people, they, on like the whole confidence piece or, or piece or, or being like egotistical, I'll tell you, like, I may be confident, but I'm, I'm ext- I try and be extremely humble and, and listen to what people are doing that are successful. Yeah. And a lot of times people get too prideful and they, that gets in their way of going and being successful because they want to go write their own story and they want to be the man and they want to do yep. all this stuff. Like, you know, for me, it's, it's been, we've all heard the success leaves clues and it absolutely does. Yeah. I've just done a good job. I've been in a good system. I've been around really good people. I've been around an amazing network and I've just tried to do a lot of those things that they were doing. And they, it looks to me like they live very, um, you know, fulfilling lives. Yeah. And as long as you're progressing, cause that's obviously the most important piece in, in life is just progress. If you see progress, you're going to, you're going to have fulfillment. Mm-hmm. But anyways, just when you said that, you yeah. know, it's like, it, it's, I've just done it. I've tried to be a sponge just like you have. And that's where a lot of my experiences and mentalities have come and they've developed, you know, like I, yeah. I, I couldn't even put into words of like, of, of an abundant lifestyle or of a, a yeah. all that stuff. It's just kind of materialized into what that is. I'm 33. Exactly. And, and you mentioned something that I think is really, really cool and kind of the, the core and the root of the podcast and having these conversations. Like I, I have been having these conversations with literally you and multiple other role models for seven years. And that has and actually even longer um, in high school as well. Just people where it's like, hey, man, that dude is living how I want in that aspect. I'm gonna go figure out how he does that. So you said it like success leaves clues. And mentors and role models have played a massive, massive 
part in my life and just living the life that I live now. And, and I'm extremely happy with my life. So my question, my question for you is like, who are, who are some of your biggest all time mentors, role models, and it can be different for different things. And I, I think something important to keep in mind for people listening is you don't need to have one role model for everything. Yeah. You know, it's so crazy, like working backwards on that. Cause a lot of times you think of all these people, you know, that have been successful in whatever way we gauge success and all that. But I have so many, you know, some of my biggest mentors and, and role models right now are my kids. Like it is so crazy because it puts everything in a different light and a different perspective. And, um, you know, they, they're just starting to kind of go through, you know, we get conditioned to think different ways and, and have these different beliefs and all this stuff as we come up, which really make us who we are. Right. Yeah. And, and these kids, it's almost like this blank slate and to see that it's like, they're so pure and they, they laugh when they're happy. They cry when they're sad. They have unwavering trust. And so, you know, it may sound weird, but it's, no, it, it, it's, it's crazy. Like I look at these kids and I'm like, man, I want to be more like them. Like I want to be yeah. vulnerable. I want to, I want to, when I'm sad, I want to talk about it. And I want to like, you know, figure out a way to, to be happy and to get past it. And when I'm yeah. happy, I want to laugh and I want to be playful and I want to do all those things. And, and I want to, you know, like the, the trust piece, like they, it, it's, it's scary how much they trust, you know, me and my wife Haley. And, but yeah, I, I think that working backwards it's like these kids who I'm that's with awesome. every single day it, yeah. it's, it's really really powerful what you can learn from children you know my my oldest is five years old um i've got another one who's three and and we've got a two-month-old and you know and even from my two-month-old like they're, they're just the, the the stuff that you take away and yeah and learn from them is, is super powerful my wife is you know obviously a major mentor and supporter to me you know she's unbelievably patient and and um calm and i mean everything that i lack she is yeah and, and so that's what probably makes us work my family you know all of them there's you know from my sister to my brother like i i try and i try and have as many mentors i can and take all the good that i can from people so yeah. i could i could bore you and go on for a long time about you know but there's every person in my family i, I take things away and you know obviously in this workspace casey Baugh and, and todd peterson jared young bo gardner like all those guys have been major, yeah. major players and all of you guys, you know, like I, it, it, it's amazing how much mentorship comes from just perspective, you know, like it doesn't always have to be the person that has more experience or more success. Yeah. It's, it's something that they've learned that you can, you can go and be better. Right. Yep. So anyways, yeah, there, I, I could go on and on and on. No, but I, I think the one that. I'm probably the more, most passionate about is, uh, is, you know, my, my family. See, that's so cool. Like that's such a unique answer, but it fits perfectly. And, and that rolls perfectly into kind of the, one of the last things that I want to talk to you about and, and ask about is we bring people on here where the point of this, like today's the day has been a, just a motto. I've hey, had today for, is the day. By yeah, the today way. is the day. Absolutely. It's been a motto that I've had for years and years and years and years and like going and really kind of understanding on a deeper level, the point of it and the meaning of it is like, this is all you've got right? Like you have no idea how long you're going to be here for. You want to go and get the most out of every single day, regardless of what you're doing that day. And you are absolutely, especially in my life. And I know a lot of people's lives, somebody who does that at a higher level than most. And all it really is a perspective. Like if you look through the lens of like today's the day, every day, you are going to go and get so much more out of your life, however long your life may be than if you don't. Yeah. Then if you get stuck in this mundane routine of just, oh, yeah, another day, right? Like tomorrow is going to be a repeat of this one. But if you really do go approach it and you do a very good job of that, my, my question for you with that is where do you go? Where did you go develop that innately? And maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you never really realized you do it, but you absolutely do it, right? And how do you go and live by that model? Today's the day. How do you go and, and really embody that in your every single day? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I love the, the today's the day and seeing all the hype in this podcast. Like, I think it's, it's so, so powerful for people because even just being reminded, you know, like, and having a constant reminder that today's the day, man, like we're going to go tear it up and talking about it and, you know, making it important, you know? And so congrats to this whole thing. I think it's awesome. But I, I think, thank you. You know, and it it goes back to a lot of the other stuff that we've talked about in most people just kind of see this, the, the, like the final version of it at that time. But a lot of that stuff takes effort too. you mm -hmm. know, for me, it's a lot easier to 
just sit at the sit at the house and do nothing, you know, and, and even as I, it, it's a thing that I'm uh, con- constantly trying to balance as well, you know, because I know that, Hey, if I go and get all the kids into, you know, if I go get all the kids in the car and we go to the aquarium, it's going to be way more fun than if we're going to sit home. Yeah. But it's not always the easy thing. It's just always yeah. worth it. And so I think that recognizing that to really be deliberate that today is the day and to have an emphasis on, Hey, I'm going to make life fun. I'm going to, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to mm-hmm. go and do all the, th- you know, I always, we always talk about like choosing your heart. It's either hard now, easy later, easy now, hard later. Yep. And you can have a lot of fun while going through hard things and doing hard things. Yep. I think people in the last part to kind of maybe sum all this up, you know, me, I think we overcomplicate so many things. Like we have to, we have to know why everything equals Y and the X and blah, blah. Like it's so complicated and it doesn't have to be that way. Like, Life does not have to be super complicated. You just got to do, you know, do your best, be you, have a, have a ton of fun along the way, work your ass off. And, you know, I think that you'll get the results. Absolutely. No, I love that. I think that's a, the perfect, the perfect ending statement. So thank you everybody for tuning in. I appreciate you, Brad. Thank you so much for making time coming down. I could talk all day long, but I hope everybody got something out of this much love and tune in the next time. Today's the day. Today's the day. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Um, As always, it was a blast for me. I hope you got something out of this. If you got something out of this video of value, share this with a friend and please go show your love. We're on all streaming platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. Any ratings, comments, likes, shares, they go a very long way and they make it so I can keep doing these things for you. And I would appreciate it greatly. So please go share with a friend. Until next time. 